From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Well, it's the day after Election Day, and we know very little about who's going to be in power on Capitol Hill. It's around noon here in Washington, and control of the House and the Senate is still too close to call. But that doesn't mean it's too soon to talk about what this will all mean for tax policy in the next Congress. Today, we have a roundtable of Bloomberg tax reporters. Chris Chaffee is moderating with Sammy Handler and Naomi Jagoda. They're going to talk about the oversight priorities for a potential Republican House and who might be heading up the House Ways and Means Committee if Republicans take over. Oh, and also, will the IRS have a new commissioner who can get confirmed by a Republican Senate? First, we turn to Naomi, who gives us an update on where we stand as of right now. As of now, both the House and the Senate have not been called, so we don't know yet who is going to control either chamber. Um, It still seems likely that the House will flip to the Republicans, but Republicans maybe gained fewer seats than a lot of the prognosticators had expected. On the Senate side, it's it's still pretty up for grabs. Uh, Democrats did score a key victory by flipping a Senate seat in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman won that. Arizona and Nevada and Georgia at the moment are still outstanding. So obviously there's a lot of uncertainty about which party will have control of the House and Senate in the next Congress. But We do have some idea about how Republicans may handle tax issues if they do manage to eke out a narrow majority in the House or Senate. Naomi, what do we know about what the Republicans may do if they are in charge? I think oversight will be one of Republicans' top priorities. Some of that will be oversight of the $80 billion that the IRS received in the Inflation Reduction Act that President Biden signed in August. Republicans will also probably do oversight of the IRS in some other areas. For example, Republicans have been very concerned about the disclosure of rich people's tax information to ProPublica. And Treasury and the IRS have basically said investigations are ongoing, but haven't commented further on that because there are pending investigations. And I think you can expect Republicans to press for a lot more information on that. If Democrats do have one or both chambers, how do we expect Democrats to approach tax policy in the next Congress? I think Democrats will, you know, be interested also in keeping an eye on the implementation of the tax provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act, whether it's the IRS funding or the renewable energy provisions, um, the corporate minimum tax, the stock buyback tax. Um, You know, Democrats voted to pass this bill. So, you know, they have an interest in having it work. So they, you know, probably will be asking Treasury and the IRS questions about the progress in implementing the various provisions in an effort to have the policy goals that they had in enacting the legislation realized. So, Sammy, what we're expecting is that if Republicans do end up getting the majority in one or both chambers, What we do know is that the majority will likely be a small one. What do you expect to see Republicans accomplish? So the oversight priorities that Naomi mentioned will still be the same. They still have that on their agenda. 
uh, TCJA permanency, which will very likely be priorities for any of the Ways and Means chairmen uh, or any of the likely Ways and Means chairmen. That could be more up in the air, harder to get through with a slimmer majority, but they will still be doing agenda setting for 2024 and when that fight has to happen in 2025. Right. And the TCJA provisions are the Trump tax cut legislation from 2017, and a lot of them are set to expire in 2025. However, there are some that have begun to expire now. And Naomi, while there are a lot of unknowns about the 118th Congress, what we do know is that there's still some time left in the 117th in this Congress. They call it the lame duck session. We're going to see about six weeks of some exciting activity. What should we expect lawmakers to be wrangling over in the next couple of weeks here after they return to Washington? It remains to be seen, you know, how much gets done during a lame duck session. But one potential issue to watch, you know, regardless of how the midterms play out, is whether there is any sort of deal There's certain provisions in the 2017 tax law that were sort of designed to help pay for tax cuts in the bill that start taking effect for 2022 or 2023. And there's definitely a desire by the business community to kind of prevent those pay-fors from taking effect. And there is also some bipartisan support for that. But it will be hard to move legislation in the lame duck because a number of Democrats have said they don't want to make any changes to, you know, that would benefit businesses without also, you know, making the child tax credit more generous. And that's a pretty tough lift for Republicans. So there will need to be some negotiations and trade offs. And it's unclear whether there will be the appetite to do some sort of big deal. And not to mention the retirement bill that Brady and Neil in Ways and Means have collaborated on, we might see that ride along on some of the end of year uh, omnibus or other bills as well. Um, Talking about Brady, uh, Kevin Brady of Texas, we don't know whether Democrats or Republicans will have that House majority, but the Republicans still do need a committee leader Uh, for Ways and Means. Brady, who's now the top Republican on Ways and Means, is retiring from Congress. And he said, in part, it's because he can no longer be the leader of the Ways and Means Republicans. So, Sammy, can you explain to me why Kevin Brady can't continue as Ways and Means chairman or ranking member? Republicans have limits on how long their members can serve in these positions. So Brady has hit his limit. And now he's retiring. So now we're seeing the three-way race between Jason Smith, Adrian Smith, and Vern Buchanan. And it's still it's still really a toss-up to see who is going to come out ahead in that race. So the Smiths and Buchanan are running to replace Brady. Can you tell us a little bit more? Vern Buchanan is actually the most senior of the three solely because of a, a rule where, where even though he and Adrian Smith came in at the same time, Uh, Buchanan falls before Adrian Smith in the alphabet. So he is more senior. And he has a, a, as of yesterday, as of Tuesday, he had a a slight edge in terms of fundraising and representing the business wing of the Republican Party. But then there's Jason Smith, who is closer to a lot of the younger members of Congress and is more in the Trump populist style. It's unclear with which way the Republicans will want to go. So, Depending on who wins that race for 
chairman or ranking member, what does your reporting say about how the committee might operate in the next Congress if Republicans manage to hold on to the House? So no matter who wins, their priorities are largely the same, which is IRS oversight, um, seeking to make the TCJA permanent, but their styles are all a little bit different. Adrian Smith is a more lower key lawmaker. He's the, known as the policy wonk in the race. Um, any oversight he does will likely be tied to some legislative goal. Uh, Jason Smith is a little more outspoken. He was the House Republican conference secretary, um, and he's been known to be more active in speaking out against Democrats. So he might be flashier and Vern Buchanan more focused on business interests. So we'll see all legislative priorities the same, but different styles. Naomi, what do you think about that? I think that while all of the Republicans pretty much have the same policy positions, uh, there are maybe a few issues within those that are of particular importance to various of the candidates that maybe they would emphasize a bit more. Vern Buchanan has uh, been a huge proponent of the deduction for pass-through businesses that's in the 2017 tax law. I would expect him to really champion that. Um, Adrian Smith represents a more rural district and has been a big supporter of repealing the estate tax. So you might see him talk about that. Uh, the estate tax wasn't repealed in the 2017 tax law, but the exemption amount was significantly increased. So, you know, all of them pretty much have the same, you know, policy positions, but they might have slightly different areas of emphasis. I wanted to shift chambers for a second and ask about one of the things that we expect to see in the shorter term and perhaps spilling into the next Congress. IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig's term ends Friday, and career IRS employee Douglas O'Donnell has been named as the acting commissioner until a new leader is confirmed by the Senate. When a new nominee is chosen, how will the confirmation process of that nominee work, Naomi? The Biden administration still hasn't announced a nominee for the IRS commissioner. It also hasn't announced a nominee for the other IRS position that requires Senate confirmation chief counsel. Once there is a commissioner nominee, the Senate Finance Committee will undergo a vetting process of the nominee. The nominee probably will meet with a number of senators. Then there would be a hearing, um, a committee vote, and then a vote on the Senate floor. I think this is an area where Senate control could make a big difference in terms of how quickly a nominee is confirmed and even maybe whether a nominee is confirmed. You know, if the Senate is controlled by Democrats, it'll be much smoother sailing. They probably will give it a priority for a hearing. Republicans are, you know, very opposed to this increased IRS funding that the agency received in the Inflation Reduction Act. So you could see a scenario where Republicans would try to slow walk a nominee so that could make things a lot more complicated. Or you could see a situation where, you know, a majority of Senate Republicans would not want to vote to confirm a nominee either. Well, it's safe to say that there's still a lot we don't know. But thanks for joining me, Sammy and Naomi. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. And that'll do it for today's Talking Tax. Head to our website for the latest updates on the midterm elections. That website is news.bloombergtax.com. 
Today's Talking Text was produced by myself, David Schultz, with Meg Shreve. Rachel Daigle is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much, somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.